0: on local now channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is calling opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for every sunrise. The way that you're going is wicked. It is wicked. A path that is not going towards God is a path where there is problem and sorrow and grief and distress and sin it is a wicked path God says I want you to turn from that path and I want you to turn towards me that's what repentance is repentance the Bible uses that word it means you're going in one direction and God wants you to go 180 degrees in the other direction to renounce the path that you're on and to now move towards God
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Chronicles. Jesus loves me. Now what? Once you realize that God loves you unconditionally and offers pardon for the mess you've gotten yourself in, this should inspire a repentant response. Don't continue wallowing in that same sin. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on what we need to do in order to accept God's forgiveness. True repentance is not just being sorry for getting busted. It's a complete lifestyle change. It's time to get out of the mud and seek God. We learn this takes humility, but it will bring great healing. It's so worth it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today... I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message titled, All is Forgiven. Verse 39, the last part of verse 39,
1: he says... And forgive your people who have sinned against you. That's the main subject of his prayer in dedicating this great temple to God. He says, and please, I'm anticipating, God, we're going to need your forgiveness. We're a sinful people at heart, and you know our hearts like only you do. So please forgive your people. I pray anticipating that our need for forgiveness, please forgive. And then the only other time the word forgive is found in the book of Chronicles. And the last time is when God responds to Solomon's request here. It's in chapter 7. Go to chapter 7. I want you to notice verse 14, which is a familiar verse to many of you, no doubt. But 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Now this is the Lord responding to Solomon after Solomon prays. This is what God says in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When you think about God's love, I want you to please note with me that when the Bible talks about the love of God, when you... When you evaluate, really, the whole counsel of God's Word from cover to cover, the love of God is expressed to us as unconditional. God's love towards us is unconditional. And by that I mean that it is without limitation, and it is without condition. So when God loves us, He loves us not because of our performance. Thankfully, it's not based on our performance, or how much we've earned His love, how much we deserve His love. It isn't even based on our behavior. God's love is based on His nature. And His nature is, the Bible says, First John 4, 8, among a couple of places, that God is love. So His very nature is love, and therefore He loves us. And it's not based on anything about us, nor is it limited in regards toward us. Now, that doesn't mean that God loves some of the dumb, sinful things we do, because He doesn't. Some of the dumb, sinful things we do in rebellion against Him grieves Him. His heart is grieved over the sinful things that we do. And He doesn't love the sinful things that we do. He loves us as people, though. And His love does not end just because we do dumb and sinful things. You know, sometimes your kids do dumb and sinful things, right? But as a mom and a dad, you still love your kids. You don't love what they do, but you love them as your children. And as our Father in heaven, God's love is expressed to us throughout the Bible in these unconditional terms. God doesn't always like the sinful things we do, but nevertheless, He loves us in spite of us. That's unconditional love. God's love is not daisy love. You know what I mean by daisy love? I don't think school boys did this, but school girls did it a lot. They go out in little fields of recess, they pull a little daisy out of the ground, And then they have their eye on some cute little prepubescent elementary boy. And they would think to themselves, that guy might be my prince in shining armor who's going to sweep me off my feet and marry me one day. And so they would take a daisy, as if a daisy was an accurate predictor of whether this guy would grow up to become their prince charming. And they'd start pulling off the little petals of the daisy, anticipating whether this little boy loves them or not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. You know the game. And they get all the way to the end, and then hopefully, hopefully, their desire was that the last pedal would be, oh, he loves me. Oh, he loves me. Unfortunately, many times they had to join an elementary support group. Because it wasn't always he loves me. It was, oh, he loves me not. Rejection. Now, some of you think that God's love is like daisy love. You think that if you're always doing something good, he loves me. And the moment you have a bad thought, he loves me not. Oh, and then it's a good day. Oh, he loves me again. And then it's a bad day. Oh, he loves me not. And you're going back and forth in your head thinking that one day God loves you, and the next day he doesn't. That's daisy love. God is not a God of daisy love. God is a God who loves us unconditionally. Uh, Remember a quote by Karl Barth, who was one of the most intellectual theologians of the 20th century. Very academic. He died in 1968. He wrote, I don't agree, by the way, with all of his theological positions, but a brilliant man nonetheless. And he wrote more than 600 writings and commentaries on the Bible. Dr. Barth was asked one time, If you could summarize all the 600 plus volumes of writings that you have written over the years on life and faith, if you could summarize all of that volume of work into a sentence or two, what would it be? Dr. Bart thought for a moment, and then he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you could summarize the grand message of the Bible, it is God's love for us, so much so that He sends His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. Everybody needs to understand that God loves unconditionally. That said, He forgives conditionally. He loves us unconditionally. No limitations, no conditions, but He forgives conditionally. If you'll notice with me here in chapter 7, verse 14, there's a conditional clause here. Here in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it begins with the word, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now notice right there, you went to school, so you, You're a smart bunch of people. You know what they taught us, that if there's an if-then clause in a statement, it's conditional. And the verse begins, if. God says, if you do this, then in response, I will do this. I will forgive you. The subject here is forgiveness. He says, there are some things on you. I stand ready to forgive, God says to us. I want to forgive you. I want to forgive anyone for anything. But there are some things on us. ...that we need to do in order to receive the forgiveness of God. Now, everybody needs forgiveness. Every single one of us need forgiveness. The only reason you wouldn't need forgiveness is if you're perfect, and you're not. (laughs) But the idea is that because none of us is perfect, we are all in desperate need of forgiveness. Now, listen to this. We're in desperate need of forgiveness from God, vertically. We also need forgiveness from one another, horizontally in our relationships. Every human being needs to forgive and be forgiven. And when it comes to our need on a horizontal level for forgiveness, there will be times we offend, obviously sometimes unintentionally, sometimes unfortunately intentionally, and we need forgiveness. The human heart and soul needs to forgive and be forgiven. I remember a story that illustrates this pretty vividly. Ernest Hemingway wrote a story in 1938. It was a little short story, and it was called The Capital of the World. And in the story, Hemingway talks about how there was a Spanish father and son who lived in Madrid, and their relationship was fractured. The son's name was Paco, a very common name in Spain. And Paco rebelled against his father and left home to do his own thing. And his dad longed to reunite with his son and to reestablish the relationship, but Paco was gone somewhere. And so in the short story, Hemingway says that the father went down to the local newspaper office and took out an ad in the local newspaper there in Madrid with the hope that his son would read the ad and respond. And this is what the dad wrote in the ad. Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. Love, father and Hemingway in his story said that the next day at noon in front of the newspaper office were 800 Pacos (laughs) who had read that and it just illustrates vividly the need there were 800 sons who needed forgiveness from their father all of us have a deep need for forgiveness and when it comes to the vertical our forgiveness that we need from God God says, I stand ready to forgive anyone for anything. But there's some things on you that you need to do in order to receive my forgiveness. And it's found right here in this verse. And I'm going to highlight it. Four things that he tells us in this verse that we need to do. The first one is, he says, you need to humble yourself. You want to experience the forgiveness of God? You got to humble yourself. Number two in the verse, he says, and then you need to pray. Number three, he says, and then I want you to seek my face. We need to seek God's face. And fourthly, he says, and then I want you to turn from your wicked ways. And when you do those things, he says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive your sins and will heal your land. So let's start first place first. If you're here today and you recognize your deep need for forgiveness from God, You're in the right place. I've entitled today's teaching, All is Forgiven. And it starts with number one, humility. Humility is the key to receiving the forgiveness of God. Pride is the biggest obstacle to forgiveness. Pride is arrogant. It is selfish. Pride assumes no responsibility for wrong. Pride thinks that you're better than you really are. Pride doesn't agree with God's assessment of the human heart. Pride is a liar that convinces us we're just fine. Pride is the biggest obstacle to accepting and receiving the forgiveness of God. C.S. Lewis, in his writings on mere Christianity, he said, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. End quote. Pride is the biggest obstacle to experiencing the forgiveness of God. God says, I want you to humble yourself. It begins with humility, it's about agreeing with God about your sinful condition. Humility is being contrite, it is taking responsibility for sin, it is feeling sorry. It is experiencing brokenness. Now, a lot of times we don't cherish things that are broken. Most things in our world become worthless when they're broken. The great paradox of the Bible is, one of the great paradoxes is, that we only experience wholeness when we are broken. Wholeness comes from brokenness. When we come to the place where we resign ourselves to the reality that we are all sinful and we desperately need a loving, forgiving God. And it comes first through that brokenness and that humility. David said in Psalm 51, 17, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God cherishes brokenness. He cherishes a contrite heart. He cherishes humility. I know in our culture, humility can come across as weakness. Humility is not weakness. It is meekness. It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is coming before God and recognizing your deep need for Him. Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at My word. Micah 6, 8, God says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In James 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. The path to forgiveness begins with humility. The second thing he says we must do is pray. We must pray. Now, the basic definition of prayer is communication with God. It is pouring out your heart to a loving Father and inclining your ear to His gentle whisper. That's what prayer is. It's pouring out your heart to a loving Father in heaven and then inclining your ear to His gentle whisper. We don't need to overcomplicate prayer. You know, prayer is the number one subject among Christian books written. More books have been written on the subject of prayer than any other Christian topic. And yet, not as many of us pray like we should. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, there's a verse where Paul instructs Timothy about prayer. And it's interesting because he uses four different terms here. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, again, at the risk of overcomplicating prayer, and I don't want to do that, but I do want you to notice these four different words tell us something about the different forms of prayer. And just to kind of give you a basic definition of these four, what he basically tells us is there are prayers of petition, there are prayers of communion, there are prayers of intercession, and prayers of adoration. In this verse where he talks about, first of all, make your requests known. So that's the idea of petition. Making your requests known is asking God for what you need. Most of us are good at point number one. All right, most of us know how to petition God. We petition him a lot. I need this, I need that, I need the other. Please make sure, someone said this to me one time and it's always stuck with me. Please make sure when you pray, that when you're asking God for something, make sure it's a need and not a greed. Make sure it's a need and not a greed. The other word that he uses here is just the word prayers, the general word prayers. In the Greek, the original language, it is prosuke. Uh, prosuke can mean confession. It means communion and just that general, all-purpose, I need conversation with God. And then he also uses the word intercession. Intercession is to plead on behalf of others. So when you pray, sometimes you're praying for other people. That's a good thing. And then finally, he says, and also offer thanksgiving. And those are prayers of adoration. That's when you just come before the Lord and you just pour out your thanks and your gratitude for who He is and all that He's done. So again... All four of these are different ways we can pray, but let's not overcomplicate it. Let's just get along with God and talk to Him. And let's incline our ear and listen and hear the still small voice of the Lord just speak to our hearts and join Him in prayer. And let me put a little plug in here at this point. If you haven't seen War Room, go see it. If you want to jumpstart your prayer life, It's one of the best movies I've ever seen, and certainly one of the best Christian movies I've ever seen. It'll inspire you to pray. But then back to our list here, the other thing that he says is that he wants us to seek his face. Now, please note that. God doesn't say, I want you to seek my hand. God is wonderful in what he gives us. He's a God of blessing who pours things out, but he doesn't say, seek my hand. That's what we usually want. We want God to give us a handout. He says, seek my face. Now, God doesn't really have a literal face. I mean, aside from the fact that He's revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in the person of Jesus, one could say you can see the face of God. But God the Father has no face, literally. God is spirit, Jesus says. And true worshipers worship Him in spirit and in truth. So He doesn't have a literal face, but what He means by this are three things. First of all... The face is an expression of his presence. He's basically saying, come into my presence, seek my presence. Even today, we have this term where we might say, you know, I miss your face. What we mean by that is, I haven't seen you in a long time, and I want to be in your presence. The face of God represents his presence. He wants us to seek his presence. It also is his identity. You know someone by their face. You recognize them by their face. That's their identity. God says, I want you to know me. I want you to seek me and know me. Get into my word. Understand my nature, my character, my love for you, my plans, my purposes. I want you to know me. Seek my face. And the third aspect about his face is his favor. Because the Bible talks in different times about how God will turn his face away when he's angry when you don't have his favor. David even said in Psalm 27, 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. He pleads for the favor of God. The very last line in the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6 was this, and may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The idea is, when God lifts His face towards you in a metaphorical sense, it is showing His favor. It is showing that He's pleased with you. It is showing that He accepts you. And God says, I want you to seek My face, and so you would understand who I am, my purpose, my plans, understand my nature, that I am for you, that I accept you. Seek His face. And lastly, He says, and turn from your wicked ways. Which in a word is the word repent. To turn from our wicked ways. It is to acknowledge that my way is wicked and sinful. By the way, God's not embarrassed or ashamed to call us out and to say the way that you're going is wicked. It is wicked. A path that is not going towards God is a path where there is problem and sorrow and grief and distress and sin. It is a wicked path. God says, I want you to turn from that path, and I want you to turn towards me. That's what repentance is. Repentance, the Bible uses that word. It means you're going in one direction, and God wants you to go 180 degrees in the other direction to renounce the path that you're on and to now move towards God. The word repent in the New Testament, in the original Greek language, is the word metanoeo. It's a combination of the words meta, meaning to change, noeo, meaning the way you think repentance is the idea that i'm on the wrong path i need to change the way i think about this path that i'm on and i need to turn towards god and i need to renounce my life and move in his direction that's repentance god says i want you to turn from your wicked ways and i want you to follow me you're on the wrong path i had a young man come up to me wednesday night after church 20 something newly married his marriage is already in crisis his life is in crisis. But he looked at me and I just appreciated his directness. He looked at me. First time I met him, he said, can you pray with me? I said, sure, what's the need? And he just said this, I'm lost. I said, I have good news for you. I once was lost too, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I said, do you know Christ as your Savior? No. And he prayed to receive Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. This is what it's all about. And I warned him. I said, okay, now you've prayed this prayer. You've given your heart to Jesus. Don't think that instantly everything is going to get better. But now you do know the one who can make all things whole and things brand new and the one who was the hope for the hopeless. So press into Jesus and let him give you wisdom and grace and help. Because now, now that he's Lord, your life will be completely different. God says to us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land.
0: The writer of Second Chronicles intended the book to be a reminder of God's love and faithfulness to the people of Israel. They needed this history lesson to remember and renew their trust in their Creator. Can you recall a time in your life where God came through for you? When you find yourself in a difficult situation, remember that moment. God will always be with you, and His promises are always worth holding on to. We hope today you've been blessed by everything you heard on Cornerstone Connection. This teaching and others like it are all available on our website to listen to again or even download and share with others. At cornerstoneconnection.cc you'll also find more information about this program and Pastor Gary as well as some helpful resources. Just click Companion Resources under the Teachings tab to find PDF files that will enhance your own study of God's Word. We'd also love to meet you in person so if you're in the Leesburg area, please come by one of our services. We meet Sundays and Wednesdays to worship our Creator and study His Word. If you can't make it to a service, you can always live stream them from our website. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. Join Pastor Gary again for another insightful edition of Cornerstone Connection. You've got no
1: place to go But still you know but still
0: you know You're not a